called into a grade two teacher's meeting for Kaylee. And she's a pretty good kid, so we, we didn't really know what the issue was. We went in pretty wide open, kind of sat in this moment of tension. See, it's all very seriously, very seriously. And she was getting like in fights on the playground, verbal, not physical. Um, she was taking every opportunity to debunk other like religious thoughts. And she was like often holding altar calls with the sinner's prayer, often. And it was an issue for our public school in Surrey with a lot of other religious beliefs, as you can imagine. And so we got called into this meeting. And so we're sitting there in front of her two teachers nodding and trying to listen be like, yes, we agree with you. We need to respect all people. Yes, we agree with you. There's places for this and not yet. We agree with you. And at the same time, just wanting to like high five and take her for ice cream. Like this is awesome because this is really kind of what you want for your kids, right? You want them to understand who Jesus is and be so sold out for Jesus that they can't help but share him with the world around him or around them. And at the same time, we had to have this conversation with our daughter about how we have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves and with respect and tact, share the love of Jesus lest we become a stumbling block instead of a bridge. And this tension, I don't know about you, is where we often find ourselves now, right? Growing up, young faith is a beautiful thing, whether that's in someone who's young, like finds faith in their young, or your faith is new. There just tends to be an excitement that, like, I don't know how else to say it, but just seems to make sharing Jesus easier. And as faith goes on and that time stretches and you get the rejections and the hurts and the odd looks and the sideways glances, there can be a cynicism and a jadedness and a fear that can creep in and make it really, really easy to find excuses and reasoning to tell God no when he prompts you to share something about your faith. And we are called to be people who share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Like Jesus called us to go into all the world and make disciples. We know this. We think it's true. And so what do we do with this tension to do that without becoming zealots? How do we do that and not just completely own up to the label of weirdo? Right? Don't get caught in a conversation with that person. How do we do that and not wear the placard on the street corner? How do we share Jesus well? And this is where we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. Go ahead and flip open your Bibles with me. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. And if you don't have a Bible here, you can go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible myevangel.church forward slash Bible, and there are digital Bibles there as well as a form. We would love to get you a paper Bible because we do believe that this faith that we are called to is bigger than ourselves, right? It's not something that we're supposed to just hoard 
to us. Like we found this good news that's just mine, like a child with all of the toys. This is something we are called to share because Jesus loved the whole world so much that he went to the cross to die for them. The whole world, not just us sitting in this room. And so how do we live out this tension well? This is our second to last week in the book of Colossians, the wonder of the gospel. And just that, the wonder of the gospel, inspires me to share it with people around me. So again, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is truth. I thank you that it is inspired by you and that we don't just read it apart from your presence, that when we open it, God, you are here, that you are speaking back to us. You don't just hear us, you are actively communicating with us. And so, Spirit of Truth, I ask that you would go forward this morning, Lord, and you would help us to understand how to be a bridge. How do we share the good news that we have with you without building walls and creating stumbling blocks? Because we do believe, Lord, that we are called to share the hope that we have, the life that we have, the love that we have because of you with everyone around us. So would you help us to do that with wisdom? And as always, Lord, may any words that are born out of my own self, would you just allow those to go away? Because your words have power and can change in your precious name. Amen. Well, these verses obviously are following right in line with our message last week about prayer. We are going verse by verse through the Bible, so this should be obvious. But there's no separation in even paragraphs here. It's pray that I may proclaim the gospel clearly as I should, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone, right? We are praying actively for open doors for the gospel, that hearts would be open to hear the good news of Jesus. And now we're being asked to do that with wisdom and grace and moderation. To sum this whole sermon up in one statement, don't be that Christian. Don't be sitcom reenactment Christian. Don't be the movie Hollywood's version of all of the worst of us. Don't be that Christian, the one that becomes a stumbling block rather than a bridge to the gospel. So if we're called to be salt and light to the world, and we are, then how do we live well so that we can do this? As I said already, we need wisdom, we need grace, and we need moderation. In uh, Colossians 4, verse 5, it says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every 
opportunity. And this is not a new theme. In Colossians, this is a theme, and even two statements that Paul writes over and over and over. He uses those two statements, be wise, make the most of every opportunity. He's calling us to live out this greater story. What is the wise thing to do? It's a hard question. Because I don't know about you, but I like my black and whites. I like my rights and wrongs. But there are some questions that don't have a yes or no answer, right? Do I buy another pair of shoes? Some people are saying yes. My husband's back there being like, you have enough. No. There's no real yes or no answer to that, right? But what is the wise thing to do? Well, the wise thing to do says, Lisa, how many pairs of flip-flops do you need? Wisdom says, no, you probably don't. And just like that, there is often not a, in this moment, do I share the gospel of Jesus, yes or no, verbally or not. Often there's an, is it a wise thing to do? And that might seem really like a weird thing, like, yeah, Lisa, we should always share the gospel of Jesus. And I agree with you. Because we're supposed to hold up a standard of righteousness in our lives. Right? We are supposed to, with everything that we do, with everything that we say, with our relationships, with our work ethic, with everything, be living a completely different life. We should look completely different. Do our lives declare that Jesus changes everything? Yes or no? But we also need to be careful that we don't become odd. Because odd Christians are not attractive either. And they don't make Jesus attractive. We need to be both completely different and at the same time normal. You know, when we're either or, either or, it's a hard pill to swallow. And let me explain this. If we are only, only righteous, and the only things that we come come out of our mouths or we talk about are like quoting the Bible and we are only talking about God all the time and we are so pious that we forget fun and humor and laughter. We are unattainable. Nor does anybody want to attain what we have. I don't think that is abundant life to be only completely different. On the flip side, if we are only normal, what is the point of this? If we look absolutely the exact same as our coworkers who don't know Jesus, and we don't talk any different, and our relationships don't look any different, and our lifestyle doesn't look any different, then Jesus doesn't make a difference and we might as well go up the lake on a Sunday morning. And this is not attractive either. 
Because then what's the point? Why would I spend all of this energy and time and speak to somebody I can't see? That's not attractive either. And so we need this both and, not either or. We need to live a completely different and still normal life. We need to be in touch with both sides. And I believe that we really can be. I believe that we really can be righteous and still fun and funny and full of life because God is the author of fun and humor and life. And so why would he create something that we aren't meant to enjoy? Why would he create something that we aren't meant to embody? And I love these verses in Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 16. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. How do we live wise lives? We find out what pleases God. And you know what? That's going to push us towards this righteousness, right? Because what pleases God is all goodness and all righteousness and all truth. This is why we need wisdom. I'm preparing for two camps this summer. I'm preparing for the summer camp here, August 12th to the 14th. And you, adults, definitely want to be involved in that. It is an opportunity to say yes and change the whole future. You want to be involved, shameless plug. Sign up at the table in the back. We need 20 more people before we can open it up to parents to register their kids. And I will hunt you down. Enough said on it. Okay. The second camp that I am preparing for is a camp in July where I get the opportunity to speak to a bunch of pastor's kids. And I'm pretty excited and terrified at the same time because these kids have heard all of the Bible stories since they were in utero, right? Like, these are those ones that they know everything I'm about to tell them. I have to package it all differently. And on one of the evenings, we're talking about Jesus being the light of the world. And here's the great thing about light. If you're scared of the dark and someone comes and turns on the light, there's amazing security and safety and light is a wonderful thing. But have you ever had somebody come to your door when the house is a mess? Right? You're like, if we just turn off the lights to those rooms, they can't see it, right? Light is a terrifying thing when you're trying to hide the mess with the darkness. Church, we're going to have people that are in our circle of influence that we come into direct contact with. Some people are going to be terrified and looking for the security and the hope and the safety of the light of Jesus in that moment. And we have to be wise to listen to the voice of the Spirit and to know, you know what, this is the time to talk. 
This is the time to share the hope that I have. This is the time to turn on the lights. And we have people in our lives, in our sphere of influence, that are trying to hide a whole lot of mess in the darkness. And when we start shining the light, and that's not a moment of hope right now, that is a moment of petrifying fear. And we need to have wisdom to hear the voice of the Spirit to say, pray hard. Listen well. Be my hands and feet extended. Live a completely different life. Reflect me. So that in their season, right, their seasons of planting seeds, seasons of watering seeds, seasons of harvesting fruit, that in their season, we still stay a bridge and not a stumbling block. So that we don't push people past what the Spirit of God is doing in their heart to a place they're not ready to go yet. We have to be wise to discern the voice of God. There are going to be times to speak up and there are going to be times to stay quiet and just live and reflect well. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I just err to the stay quiet. And so maybe the flip side of this is the challenge to start listening when it's time to speak up. So if we're going to be bridges of the gospel, we need great wisdom, but we also need great grace. Let your conversation be always full of grace. I've shared before that in my high school years, I was very, very similar to grade two Kaylee. Um, there was not a debate I wasn't ready for. If I found out that you didn't know Jesus, like, I was coming for you. And honestly, I think looking back, more of it was I wanted a victory rather than I loved people. It wasn't like my heart was full of compassion and you need to know Jesus. It was like, I'm right, you're wrong, let's get this thing done. And over time, God has had to move in me a gentleness and a grace for people and more gentleness than grace because also if you know me, you know that I have a really hard time with grace. I have a very hard time accepting and understanding grace. I want to earn it. Like, I just want to, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. I'll jump through the hoops, sure, but free? And there's this fantastic book called Grace for the Good Girl by Emily Freeman. And even if you're not a girl and you struggle with grace, worth the read. But she says this, the story of redemption and healing is that Jesus came to exchange my not good enough with his better than I could ever imagine. He came to trade my life for his, my weak for his strong, my ashes for his beauty. And he longs for each of us to receive the gift of himself. Let your conversation be always full of grace. In the words that come out of our mouth, we are called to reflect this truth. And especially our words, because what are our words? Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words are a reflection of what we actually feel and think 
and believe. And grace is an unmerited favor or approval. It means that God looks upon me in all of my frailty, in all of my brokenness, in all of my failing. And he doesn't see that. He sees righteous. He sees perfect. He sees pure and blameless. Why? Because he sees me through the filter of the cross. That's grace. There's an approval and a favor there that I can never own. I can never earn or buy or do enough to receive. I just have to get over all of my own, Lisa Mitchell, because I struggle with grace, all of my own failings and accept it. And that's the same grace that I am called to view every person that comes into my life with. And I'm not just talking about putting on rose-colored glasses and seeing, like, the best in people or just looking on the positive side of life. There's nothing wrong with seeing the best in people or positivity, but those fall short to what we are actually called to. We are called to bestow unmerited favor like God would bestow on us to the people in our world which means that when I stand face-to-face with someone and I'm having a conversation, it's not just I'm assuming the best about you. I'm just looking for the best of you. I'm looking for those positive traits. It's not that. It's that this person standing in front of me is a sacred masterpiece. It's that this person standing in front of me was worth the cross. It means that this person standing in front of me is loved by God to a measure that I cannot ever understand with my human brain. And in the words that I say, and in the tone of my voice, and in the attitude and the care I'm going to take for them, do I reflect that or not? In the way that I live my life, do I let them know the unmerited favor God has for them? or not. Matthew Henry says, even what is only carelessness may cause a lasting prejudice against the truth. Let all discourse be discreet and seasonable as becomes Christians. Though it be not always of grace, that might always be our topic, it must always be with grace. Though our discourse be of that which is common, Yet it must be in a Christian manner. Completely different and still normal. Doesn't mean that every topic of conversation has to only be wrapped up in this Christian bow. It means that the words that we speak are the words of God. We speak with his heartbeat for humanity. We speak with his character because we are constantly coming before him, asking him to refine and purify and change us to look more like him. We ask him to put a guard and a filter over our mouths so that the words that we say when it's tempting to come out in frustration and exhaustion and even, yeah, sarcasm and humor, that those words that are going to wound, God, would you just put a filter over my mouth? Let them be unspoken. 
because our words don't just speak to us alone. They do, they reveal our heart. But friends, they reveal more than that. Like in this room, if you called Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've accepted what he did on the cross, don't be fooled into thinking no one's watching. Everyone's watching. Everyone's listening. Does that mean we have to attain perfection? No, because I failed on a daily basis. I hope you do too, or you're just lying to everyone and yourself. Doesn't mean that we strive for perfection. It just means that 24 7, 365, our words, our life is revealing more than just our heart. It's revealing does Jesus change everything or not? And that's the sacred role we, that we as Christians have to shoulder. Are we allowing him to change us so that we can reflect that Jesus does change everything? And so to be bridges and not stumbling blocks, we need wisdom, we need grace, and tied to that is moderation. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace is the seasoning that flavors everything that we do. But have you ever over-seasoned food? In particular, over-salted it? Right? Like, not like, oh, that's a little salty, need a glass of water. But like, the top of the shaker falls off? No one's had that happen but me. Right? It is now unedible. You can't save that. You can barely stand the taste of it. Church, we can have a tendency to become oversalted. We can have a tendency to gather in our Christian bubbles and only have our Christian songs on the radio and only speak quoting the Bible. We can have a tendency to become so out of touch with the world and the people that Jesus loves that when we enter it, we are so salty. We are inedible. In Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we don't want to go so far to this side that we look so normal that we don't have any saltiness left. We don't want to go so far this side that we, like, want to be so in the world that we hide who we are in Jesus. And we're like, you know what? I'm just going to keep quiet that I love Jesus so that I can go in and get wasted at that party and no one will think anything of it. That's not what I'm saying at all. We still have to be salt and light. But a little bit of salt brings out the flavors of the entire dish. When the salt shaker lid falls off, you don't want anything to do with it. A little bit of light 
brings safety and security. It illuminates the entire room. When you get flashed in the face with high beams in the middle of the night, it's blinding. We need to be people of moderation. Too much salt will hurt you in the long run, and too much light doesn't do what it was intended to do. We're to be seasoned with grace, full of wisdom, and so full of grace, lest we be so strong that we're unappetizing or so weak that what's the point? And I know, like, so where's the radical middle, right? The radical middle is the discernment in the voice of the Holy Spirit. The radical middle is allowing the God who knows what's happening in the heart and life of the people within that sphere of influence that you're with to say, now, or wait, or share this bit, ask this question, because God loves the people that we are with on a day-to-day basis more than we ever could. And only he knows the season that they're in, planting, watering, harvesting. And if we listen to his still small voice, then we will know how verse 6 ends, how to answer everyone. So be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And if we're going to be bridges and not stumbling blocks, we need wisdom, grace, and moderation. I want to remind you of the last part of that Matthew Henry quote. Though it be not always of grace, it must always be with grace. And though our discourse be of that which is common, yet it must be in a Christian manner. We're really good at segmenting our lives. You ever notice that? Like, That's why we talk about the work-home balance. We're really good at segmenting it. This part is work, and maybe you even have segments for work, and this part's home, and perhaps you have segments for home life. You have housework time and rest time. If you have relationships within your household, then maybe you have kid time and spouse time, and it all works in like these neat little compartments like the kid who won't let their food touch, right? Like we're just trying to figure it all out how each one of these things works. Now, if you're not believing me, let me illustrate for a moment. How do you say that you need to go to the washroom in every segment of your life? So, if you're at work, you might just say, excuse me for a moment, I'll be right back. Because everyone at work doesn't need you to know that you need to go to the bathroom. If you are out in the grocery shopping section of your life and you don't know where the bathroom is, you'd walk up to someone and say, excuse me, where's, where's the restroom? If you have little kids at home, you would say, mommy needs to go potty, right? Are you following me? See, there's segments. Now you know, there really are. If you're with your spouse, who's probably like the person you're most common with, you just be like, I really need to go pee. Like, get out, move. Even our vocabulary changes based on the segment of life that we're in. 
And we kind of do this with our spiritual life. We've decided that some things are spiritual and some things aren't. Some things are completely worldly. And we've segmented life in this way where it's like these things don't touch these things and these things don't touch these things. And I think that this really bites us when it comes to abundant life. Because is it really less holy to watch Sunday afternoon football with your family than to have a coffee and talk about the faithfulness of God? Maybe, if your football is a shield for never having the conversations about the faithfulness of God. But you know what? I think not. Is going to church on a Sunday evening less or more holy than going to bed early when you're tired? Is it? Or have we decided to segment life so much that just the mundane and the common can't be holy? It can't be spiritual. But if we believe what the Bible says, that every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights, God, then can abundant life and the goodness of God spill over everywhere? Can a walk along the ocean or a snuggle at bedtime with our kids or a triple grande half-sweet pumpkin spice latte on a fall day, can all of those things be goodness of God? Can they each be something worth celebrating our good, good God for? And now, all of a sudden, when I go and I talk to my neighbor, I'm talking about the spiritual, but I'm talking about something that they understand, because I'm talking about the good gifts that I was given, like the beautiful whales I still don't believe are in the coast of Pell River because I've never seen them. We've been here for almost three years, people. Three years, almost. Still haven't seen a whale. I don't believe they exist. <laughs> but now as I talk to my neighbors about that, I'm talking about the normal. And yet, because I am a follower of Jesus, because I know that every good gift is from him, I'm glorifying my good, good God at the exact same time. And I am completely changed and normal all at the same moment. A bridge and not a stumbling block. Let's be completely different and normal all at the same time because weird Christians, sitcom Christians, don't help anyone find Jesus. Anyone. See people of wisdom, grace, and moderation. Let's pray as the worship team comes back. So, Father God, I thank you that you do call us to a different standard. You do call us to righteousness. You do call us to reflect you well to the world around us. And so, God, I just pray right now that you would search us and you would know us that you would test our thoughts, that you would test our spirits. And God, if there is any way within us that just does not line up with your heart, that, Lord, you would reveal it, and you would purify and refine us. 
But God, at the same time, would you tear down the walls that would keep us from recognizing your goodness and your sovereignty in the simple, in the common, in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment, that we could glorify you in every moment of our day, in every moment of our week, and not just on those ones that our brain would demand are spiritual. And God, would you give us open doors for relationship? Would you help us to build friendships with people that are built on the common, that are built on the normal, that are built on kids' soccer teams and loves of lattes and shoe shopping and sports and fixing cars and whatever it may be, the normal of life. Would you help us to love people well where they are, not seeing them as projects, not pushing them past what you're doing in them, because your heart for them, your love for them is greater than ours ever could be. It's just how you are. And so would you increase our sensitivity to your voice, God, that we would listen to you well, that we would obey well, even when it is that we need to speak. When it's terrifying and when it's relieving, would you help us to obey well? We love you so much. Thank you for your direction and your guidance in our lives. In your precious name, amen.